Well, good morning to you and welcome to Christ the King. Uh, my name is Clay Holland. I'm the senior pastor here and it's a joy to be with you on this Easter Sunday as we consider God's Word and God's Word's testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to do that this morning from John chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. So if you have a Bible, um, uh, I'd welcome you to pull that out or your phone and turn to John chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading in um, verse 1 as we consider God's Word. Andre spit all over my glasses, so this is going to be a little bit of a science fair experiment here, so we'll, we'll see. Um, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now parenthetically, before I go on, uh, the other disciple in this narrative is the Apostle John. So he's doing a couple of things here. First of all, he's humble bragging at his uh, ability to beat Peter in a race. But second, and this is super important, he is signifying himself as an eyewitness to these events. Even though he does not name himself, uh, this is John who is the author of these words. So going further in verse 5, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus, on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us this morning. We plead you. 
just as you did to Mary and just as you did to Peter and to John. Transform us by this vision of your resurrection this morning. We ask it in your name. Amen. There have been a lot of hard things in the news, you know, over the past little while. Things just kind of coming at you like a fire hose. So it's understandable if you missed the news that last week on Palm Sunday, two suicide bombers triggered explosions in Indonesia, uh, killing themselves and 20 people who were gathered there in a cathedral for Palm Sunday worship. This isn't the first time that this has happened on Palm Sunday. This action actually also happened in 2017 in Egypt. Uh, In 2017, two Coptic Christian churches were gathered for their Palm Sunday worship when a group in two different coordinated attacks uh, attacked them with bombs and they had later on pledged their allegiance to the Islamic State. And at least 45 people died in those attacks and Over 125 people were injured. You know, it's really, really hard for me to put myself in the shoes of people who live in places in the world who choose to go worship Jesus knowing that any time that they do, someone is liable to attack them. It's true that our own country has gotten more dangerous over the last years, but nothing like this, nothing like being a tiny fraction of a minority in a culture where a tiny fraction of the majority actually does seek to destroy you. It's dark. And in some ways, it harkens back to the moment of Jesus' death on the cross. The scriptures tell us that at the time that Jesus died on the cross, darkness descended upon all of the land. And Jesus' disciples were terrified. They were terrified when he went to the cross. So much so that they just scattered and they went and hid. They went and hid in other people's homes and wherever it is that they could find. They, they, They just couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it had happened. And they believed that they were next, right? The, the, the authorities had found Jesus. They had, uh, they had tried him. They had crucified him. And now they were going to go looking for them. You can only imagine the fear of those first disciples on that first Holy Saturday, that, that day after uh, the crucifixion, huddled in dark corners, whispering to themselves, I can't believe it. Can you, I can't believe that he actually died. How could this happen? It wasn't supposed to happen like this. And you could also imagine their honesty in that moment. I can't believe we gave the last three years of our lives to this. Have we just wasted our time? Has this been a sham? Has this just all been a lie? Was, was this Jesus just another one of those messianic mirages that, that, that said that he was going to be something and then was totally something else? Now what do we do? That's the question, right? Now what? You're familiar with that question, I know. You are definitely familiar with the now what question. Job loss out of nowhere. Now what? That diagnosis that you got sitting there in that cold office trying to let it sink in. Now what? The death of a loved one that you cherish. Now what? The unraveling of a, of a relationship that you've had for years and years and years and years. Now what? You're, you're an elementary school student or a middle school student or a high school student. A year and a half of your life has been thrown into shambles. Right now what? 
what could possibly shine light into that confusion, into that darkness? Well, Easter is the answer. The shock of resurrection reality. You've all been driving around Houston over the last month and a half after the winter storm. And, you know, you see everything is like completely dead. The shrubs are just like brown and dead. But every once in a while you drive one of them and it's like a green shoot like sticking right out of it. You're like, hey, you might actually be alive. There might actually be some hope here. Something beautiful may actually emerge here. Maybe hope can overcome despair. Light can pierce through darkness. It happens through the resurrection through Easter. Easter, according to the Apostle John, an eyewitness who wrote this account, is the true story that changes absolutely everything. Easter is the true story that changes absolutely everything. If this actually happened, if Jesus really did rise again on the third day, then how could your life, how could anything possibly just be the same? How could we just go on like everything is completely normal? But of course the opposite is also true. If this didn't happen, if Jesus' body did not rise again on the third day, then what in the world are we doing here? We are, like the Apostle Paul says, those people in the world most to be pitied because we have given our lives to a lie. We've given our lives to a falsehood. So which is it? Well, only the Holy Spirit can convince you of the answer to that question. But what I do hope to show you this morning is that the Apostle John, who claims to be an eyewitness of these events, certainly believes that this happened. And he certainly believes in the absolute transformative power of the resurrection of Jesus. So let's jump into it first, to the shock of Easter. The shock of Easter. You know, resurrection and unexpected change is pretty much always a shock to us. Maybe you have some friends and that you and everyone else just, it was a marriage that was just unraveling over the course of time and everybody just knew that it was heading to divorce. Only it didn't. Something happened. Renewal came. Reconciliation came. Something beautiful emerged and nobody expected it. It's a complete shock. Or maybe, and this has happened to me like several times in my life, you run into you know, a fraternity brother or sorority sister that you haven't seen in 20 or 30 years, and they're completely different. Yeah, they say, I've been a Christian for 15 years, I've been following Jesus for 15 years, and you go, no way. Really? You know, it's, it's a shock, it's a, it's a change, and it's shocking because it's the last thing that you expected, Right? Well, the resurrection of Jesus, and this is an interesting thing in the Gospels, the resurrection of Jesus, even though Jesus had been explicitly telling his disciples and all these other people that it was going to happen, the Son of Man is going to be put to death, and on the third day he will rise. And they're thinking, surely that's just a metaphor. I don't know what you're talking about, but that's, that, that can't happen. You know, It came as a complete and utter shock to them. They didn't expect it. And it was also a massive shock to the culture in which it happened, that Greek-influenced culture of the first century. And this is, this is important because if you listen today, you'll hear a lot of people say this 
about the Gospels and about these eyewitness testimonies to the resurrection. People will say, well, you know, this happened in the first century, and the first century was prior to our enlightened scientific age. People were more superstitious in the first century in those days, and it would have been easier for them to have believed that they would have seen something that would cause them to believe that a resurrection had taken place. They were just more susceptible to the belief in the supernatural than we are today in the 21st century. So they would say something like, you know, so Mary Magdalene would have wanted this to be true, and Peter and John, they would have wanted this to be true, and, you know, they would have been living in an age where they would have been more susceptible to this being true, and I don't know what they saw, but they thought that it was a resurrected Jesus, but we now know on this side of the Enlightenment that that can't be true, right? Well, the answer, actually, the truth is, is that's not true at all. That's not true at all about the first century at all. The Jews in the first century, uh, like Peter and James, Mary, you know, and they're, they're the teachers of the Jews in the first century in that part of the world were split on whether the resurrection, the Bible taught something about the resurrection or not. But even those who did believe that there was a resurrection from the dead believed that it would only happen at that time that God had accomplished all of his purposes in the world and all of the righteous ones would rise together. There was no concept in anybody's head that one person would die and that one person would rise again. So if you went to a Jewish rabbi and said, hey, I saw the resurrected Jesus, he would say, one person risen from the dead and I'm still here? No way. Impossible. Doesn't happen. But likewise, those that are influenced by the surrounding Greek culture, they would have also said that this is impossible too, but they would have said it for a different reason. The Greek worldview was heavily influenced by Plato, uh, and to grossly and horrendously oversimplify, Plato taught that physical things in this world were simply a poor and temporary representation of their true selves. And their true selves existed in a spiritual plane somewhere else. And so the goal of existence in that worldview was to escape the physical. The physical's bad. You don't want this. To escape the physical and then to ascend to the spiritual. So if you came to somebody that was influenced in that time by that worldview and say, guess what? I saw Jesus bodily and physically resurrected from the grave. Do you know what they would say? Gross! Why in the world would anybody want to do that? That's going backwards. He was right there, right? He had it. He had it. He had this escape from his physical body. It was in his grasp. Who would want to go back and put those chains back on? That's impossible and also, frankly, disgusting. That's what they would have thought. The point is this. Nobody in the original context of the first century, nobody in the original context of John 20 was ready for this. Nobody was prepared to be confronted by Jesus rising from the grave after being dead for three days. It was a massive shock. Doubt about the possibility of resurrection didn't begin after the Enlightenment during a scientific age. It was alive and kicking and very well in the first century. And I think that there is some encouragement here. 
Because you too may be skeptical about these claims. You may wrestle and struggle and think, there is no way in the world that this can be true. This, this can't happen. This cannot possibly be true. You may, you may wrestle with this central teaching upon which faith in Jesus ultimately rests. But I want to tell you this morning that if you're wrestling with that, if you're here this morning and you're struggling and you're wrestling with that, you are in good, good company. Because everybody in this passage wrestled with it. Mary Magdalene wrestled with it right here. We see her absolutely distraught at the tomb because she believed that the body of Jesus had been stolen. She runs to the tomb. She's looking for Jesus. She's weeping because he's dead. She looks in and he's gone. And what does she do? I'll tell you what she doesn't do. She doesn't pop her head out and go, I got it. He's resurrected. Oh, the resurrection, yes. It all makes sense to me now. That's not what she did. She's like, what? Where is he? Who stole him? Where is he gone? She didn't believe it. The disciples, Peter and John, also wrestled with it right here. Jesus had been telling them over and over and over again for three years that he would die and he would rise again. They didn't hear it. They didn't have ears to hear. They didn't believe it. John says it explicitly in verse 9, that up to that very point, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So being shocked is the right response. Being shocked is exactly the right response to the resurrection. So if you're skeptical about it, if you're struggling with it, it's okay to be shocked by this claim. You're supposed to be. What's really scandalous is that we're not shocked by it. I've been going to church on Easter Sunday every single year my entire life. I cannot think of one Easter in my life of somewhere over 29 years that I have not gone to Easter. But you know what a lot of times what I've been thinking about Easter is, uh, oh my goodness, you know, one of my children just threw up on their new outfit. You know, we got to change it. We got to get the right clothes. We got the right, we got to get a picture. I don't want a picture. I don't want, we got to get a picture. You know, all of these kinds of things. And, 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 and so I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting in church and there's all of this stuff going on. And, you know, it's Easter and yeah, Jesus was risen from the dead, but we're going to have a really good meal and we're going to have some really great family pictures. Y'all listen. Jesus rose again from the dead. It's the craziest thing that anybody's ever heard of. I mean, think about that for just a second. Jesus rose again from the dead. How are we not shocked by that? How are we not like, oh my goodness, did you hear about this? He was dead. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. How are we not shocked by this? It's not shocking that it's shocking. It's shocking that it is not shocking. That is the shock of Easter. Now let's talk about the challenge of Easter. In 2007, I, uh, I ran across an article. I saved it, actually, uh, in Time Magazine. It was a blog in the Time Magazine online uh, issue about James Cameron. He's the guy that had uh, produced the Titanic movie. You know, they found it down there in the bottom of the ocean, and they did the whole movie kind of surrounding that. And in 2007, James Cameron's goal was to produce a documentary claiming that the body of Jesus could be demonstrated to still be, or remnants of it, could to still be located in a burial cave that is outside of the city of Jerusalem. 
Now, it's because it's James Cameron, and these things always come out around Easter, right? You know, and so it gets picked up by a whole lot of people, and because it's James Cameron, this got a lot of press. Uh, it was very, you know, it was for three or three weeks or so. I don't really know whatever happened to that documentary. I don't know if he made it or not. Um, but if he didn't, there's a good reason, because Jesus' body's not in that cave. Um, but I don't know what happened there. But I do remember watching CNN one night around when I read that story. That was on, I was watching Anderson Cooper, and he had a panel in front of him. And the panel had all kinds of people, some academics, some archaeologists, you know, all kinds of things. But one of the people on that panel was a, a, a self-described Christian theologian. He was a, a professor at a very prestigious divinity school in the United States, uh, and he was the Christian representative in that panel. And so Anderson Cooper began with this question to this panel. He said, if definitive evidence emerges that one of the bodies in that burial tomb is the body of Jesus of Nazareth, what will that mean for the Christian religion? And obviously, because that's the first question, he turned to the Christian theologian. What will that mean for the Christian religion? His answer was this. Nothing. N nothing at all. He said, Christianity is a religion of faith. It's not a religion of sight. The, the message of the resurrection story in the Bible is that change can happen. That we can be renewed by adhering to the message of Jesus. None of that would change even if his body was found. Whether Jesus physically rose again from the dead or not. It simply doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It really does really matter. Everything rides on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. The novelist John Irving got this exactly right in his novel, A Prayer for Owen Meany, when the narrator is wrestling with his own faith in Jesus. This is what he says. I find that Holy Week is draining no matter how many times I have lived through his crucifixion, my anxiety about his resurrection is undiminished. I am terrified that this year it won't happen. Or that that year it didn't happen. Anyone can be sentimental about the nativity. Any fool can feel like a Christian at Christmas. But Easter is the main event. If you don't believe in the resurrection... You're not a believer. And this is exactly right. You have to wrestle with the reality of Easter. And the good news is there are two very good reasons in this passage um, alone to believe that this testimony is trustworthy and true. The first is in the experience of Mary Magdalene herself. Now, you have to do a little work here. You have to put your first century cultural glasses on and go way back in time. You know, 2,100 years back in time. If I were the Apostle John, or let's say if you were the Apostle John, and you wanted to make up a crazy, fantastical story about somebody who was dead rising again, and you wanted people to believe you, you would not choose Mary Magdalene as your star witness. You just wouldn't. I mean, Mary Magdalene is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because she knows that she is broken and she knows how much she needs Jesus. And there's a ton of beauty in that. But if you're trying to make something up, she's not who you would have chosen. And there are two reasons why. One is because she was a woman. 
And unfortunately, in the first century, in that context, that would have been enough to disqualify her from that level of testimony in the first place. But second, and more importantly, she, by her own admission, was a notoriously sinful woman. She had disqualified herself from being a trustworthy eyewitness to anything. So if you're John, you're saying, hmm, i got to make up this really crazy story about this guy rising again from the dead, and I need, I need a really solid person in my corner. You know, who am I going to depose? I got it. Mary Magdalene. You know, that'll do it. Actually, Mary's inclusion in this story is extraordinary testimony to its truthfulness. Because otherwise, if it was not true, there's no way he would have chosen to put her in this narrative. But the second is the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter goes from, in chapter 19, one chapter before this, hey, you know that guy, Jesus, right? And Peter's like, Jesus? Jesus who? Never heard of the guy. What are you talking about? He goes from that to several years later, being nailed to a cross and crucified upside down because he did not believe that he was worthy to suffer the same death as his Savior. What in the world could take someone who we know is basically as afraid as Peter is, who's basically as interested in saving his own skin as Peter is, and making him willing to suffer the most horrendous death possible? Well, the only reasonable answer to that is that he witnessed the resurrected Jesus, that he saw him, and it changed his life, and it made him completely willing to die without recanting that he had seen him. None of the apostles who, who, who testified that they had seen the risen Jesus ever recanted on that testimony, even though many of them, many of them went to horrendous deaths. The theologian and philosopher Blaise Pascal once said, I tend to listen to witnesses who get their throats cut. I tend to witness to listen to witnesses who get their throats cut. And that is what happened to those who witnessed the risen Savior going to their deaths testifying that it was true. So what about you? Is this true? Do you believe it? You know, we all have impulses in our lives that make us need to have some kind of sturdy foundation to live our lives on. There's a foundational reason to treat other human beings with dignity and with respect. There's a foundational reason to, to love your wife or to love your husband and to be faithful to them. There's a foundational reason to give up so many of your own selfish desires, so many of the things that you want to do, and give all of that energy to your children. There's a reason to do that. There's a foundational reason to weep or to get angry when thousands die in a tsunami or when someone is punched in the face walking down the street simply because they are a different race than the person who punched them. There is a foundational reason why we cry out for justice when there is a horrendous crime committed and we say, this is not right. This is wrong. But what's that foundation if there's no resurrection? You can't claim Christianity as your foundation for any ethics, for any morality whatsoever, because it in and of itself is a big fat lie if the resurrection didn't happen. If Jesus' body is decomposed in the grave, if eternal life with Christ is nothing more than a myth to help weak human beings cope with the stresses of life, 
What's the meaning of truth? What's the meaning of justice? What's the meaning of mercy? What's the meaning of marriage, of parenting, of vocation? Are they all at root meaningless? Easter says no. No. They are not meaningless at all. And it is not meaningless because of the result of Easter. The result of Easter is the transformation of all things. Look at how the resurrected Jesus interacts with Mary Magdalene here. When he first appeared to her, she didn't recognize him at all. But it only took one word for her to realize who was standing before her. A transformative word. Mary. Mary. The scales fell off of her eyes. How beautiful is this? How tender is this? And she was never the same after this moment. She had seen her Lord risen again. Everything that he said that he, that he was going to do is true. All of his promises for the future are true. Complete and utter transformation. You see, the beauty of Easter is that Jesus does the same thing with you. Right now, through his word, he is standing before you. Speaking your name. Can you hear him? Can you hear him speaking your name? Calling out to you. See me. See me. Believe in me. Trust in me. Trust in all of my promises. I'm right here. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, yet though he die, he will live. Believe. Trust, live, be changed, be transformed. On the day after those bombers attacked and killed Christian worshipers in Egypt, Father Bulls Great, one of the bishops in Cairo, preached a sermon. This was on the Monday of Holy Week after that bombing had happened on Palm Sunday. And they showed actually a picture of the crowd. Uh, two bombs had gone off in the same city killing scores of people and the church was packed full of people. It was completely packed. Father Bulls Great preached a sermon and the title of that sermon was rather provocative. It was this, a message to those who kill us. A message to those who kill us. What in the world would that message be? Y'all want to fight? You've got it. You want to mess with us? We're going to mess with you. Come on, let's go. Or is it going to be, we surrender. We surrender. We're afraid. We're not going to gather and worship our Lord. We're scared of you. You win. What is the message to those who kill us? Well, these are the words of the priest. The message we want to send you is that we love you. And you probably can't understand this because you don't understand the teaching of our Christ. But I want to explain to you about our Christ. I want to tell you how wonderful he is. Because of Christ, we Christians don't have enemies. Others make enmity with us. The Christian, however, doesn't make enemies because we are commanded to love everyone. I carry no weapon. And so we love you because this is the teaching of our God that I'm to love you no matter what you do to me. And so I love you very much. 
And I want to say one last thing to you. We're praying for you. My instructions from my loving God make it my duty to pray for you. And then he concluded with words to his own congregation gathered before him. I don't want to take too long, he says. God comfort you. God give us understanding. God give us joy because Christ's promise is truth. He said, I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Those killed in the bombing, I still, he said, don't know what the final count is. They said 40-something, but more in the hospitals will surely join them. They are rejoicing with God, and they will attend the resurrection. And then he spoke to the dead. Oh, you lucky, 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 lucky ones. And until it is our turn, To our God be the glory now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that your body is not in the grave. That you live, that you reign, that you change absolutely everything. Oh God, I plead with you that we do not leave this place this morning the same that we were when we came in. That some may have seen and heard your call for the very first time and have life in you. And some who are struggling with so many different things have been renewed in their faith in you. Father, do send us into this world that we too would love our enemies. That we would pray for those who persecute us. That we would faithfully represent you everywhere it is that we go. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.